you know, if, if we're going to restart this whole thing and, and try a new thing, we should reinvent our whole personalities. Be like, yeah. Welcome to writer time. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, I was reading a really good book earlier today, Eric. And I thought you'd really enjoy it. <laughs> it's time for another episode of writer types with <laughs> Steve and the beat. <laughs> it's the book crew <laughs> fart noise. I'm totally going to use that just so you know. <laughs> Welcome to Writer Types, the crime and mystery fiction podcast. My name is Eric Beatner, and with me is my partner in crime, S.W. Loudon. And Steve, this is the first of our slightly shorter episodes, but people can look forward to two episodes a month now. Eric, that is absolutely correct. And on today's show, author Jennifer Hillier tells us what she thinks our voices sound like on the podcast. You know, emo and a little creepy. And bestseller Jeffrey Deaver explains how he likes to listen to Writer Types. I spend, you know, eight, ten hours a day, usually six days a week. That and more brought to you this time by Prospect Park Books, an independent West Coast publisher of quality fiction, mysteries, cookbooks, humor, and regional titles. You know, a few titles that Writer Types listeners might enjoy include Hiroshima Boy by Naomi Hirahara, From Away by Fief Sutton, and It Happened at Two in the Morning by Alan Ruska. That's just to name a few. You can find out more about Prospect Park Books and their amazing authors at prospectparkbooks.com. Definitely some great titles there, but uh, how about you, Steve? You read any good books lately? Eric, I read Macbeth, but not by that hack Shakespeare. I read Macbeth by Joe Nesbo. And you know I have a, a real soft spot for the Scandinavian Nordic authors of crime fiction. I do. And as part of the Hogarth Shakespeare Project, Joe Nesbo did a modern take on Macbeth, and it's set in the 1970s in a sort of post-industrial landscape, and it's in the grips of like a terrible drug epidemic. And the main characters are a SWAT team inspector named Macbeth, and then his wife, Lady, who runs a local casino. It is moody and atmospheric, like all the rest of Nesbo's books. But it's also 500 pages long, so it's definitely not for the faint of heart. I just happen to be a big Joe Nesbo fan, so I absolutely loved it. And if you're somebody who likes his writing, um, I think it's probably a book you'll really enjoy. How about you, Eric? You know, I've been uh, trying to dig through a bunch of the books that have been on my shelf for a while that I just haven't gotten around to. uh, And I've been starting and stopping a lot of books, and I read some stuff that just really wasn't to my taste. So uh, I, I recently ran back to a very safe space for me, and that was to go back to Max Allen Collins' Quarry series. I don't know how many of those I read at this point, probably eight or nine, and, but there's still three or four or five more out there. But that's one of those books series that if I'm ever at a loss of what to read or if I'm ever feeling like, oh, I'm just I'm not liking this or that, I, it's a safe place that I can always go to, and I know exactly what I'm going to get, and I know I'm going to love it. Isn't that great when you have a character like that that you can just turn to when you need you need something to hold on to, like uh, like your Blinky from when you were two years old? I, it's amazing. And he's been writing this character since the very beginning of his career. I mean, uh, way back in like the early 70s. They know exactly what they are. They are short. They are pulpy. They are just a, an unabashed homage to the Parker books by Donald Westlake. Uh, it's just great stuff. Jennifer Hillier joins us now while her newest book, Jar of Hearts, is still hot off the presses. 
Jennifer is the author of dark thrillers like Wonderland, Creep, and Freak, and her latest really has people talking. Including us. <laughs> to her. That's a good thing. We have a podcast, you know. We're not making a slideshow here. <laughs> Jennifer, this new book is, uh, you've got the buzz. I think it, oh. people are talking. <laughs> Steve, Steve had the buzz in the 90s, I think, when you were on tour, right? Did, did you? <laughs> that was a slightly different. We should talk about that, Eric. I know you're not experienced with being buzzed, but yeah, that was different. That was different than what Jennifer's going through. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, all right, Jennifer, ha having read Jar of Hearts, uh, our first burning question that we really want to know is, uh, how do you know so much about life in prison? Uh, <laughs> I, I like prison stories. And my second book had some prison stuff in it. And for that, I, I did research and I took a tour of the women's prison in, in Washington. And it just kind of, it stayed with me. I think there's just something really fascinating about a bunch of people who've made terrible decisions all living in the same place together. So research is what you're going with. That's, that's your... Research <laughs> and... I don't know. I, I just didn't. I indulge because it feels kind of voyeuristic and and yeah, that's that doesn't sound good. But I just find it fascinating. <laughs> in the book, Georgina falls in love with somebody that she maybe shouldn't have fallen in love with, right? So, can Eric and I, as responsible fathers, show this <laughs> book to our daughters as an extreme example of not dating the wrong guy? It's a freaking nightmare, right? Because I. <laughs> Like she picks, she picks this awful guy and her dad knows nothing about it. And I can only imagine, I don't have a daughter, but I have a son, but I can imagine, you know, having been a 16 year old girl, what that would do to my parents if I ended up with a guy like that. And, and just the amount of secrets and lies that she had to tell to make this relationship work. That would be every dad's <laughs> worst nightmare. Are you making a comment on women who are manipulated by men? No, I, I don't think that I am. But I think when I was 16, I was way more gullible in relationships. And I don't know that I knew what love looked like at 16. You're maybe more vulnerable than I would be now at, you know, in my 40s about falling for a guy like that and believing all the things that he tells me and, and accepting the way that I'm treated as being the way you're supposed to be treated. I don't think I would have known differently at 16, honestly. Jennifer, your books uh, as a whole are dark. I mean, we're, we're talking dark. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you expect people to think of you who haven't met you? If, if they've only know you through your books, what do you think people <laughs> think you're like? <laughs> I think they think I'm kind of like, you know, emo and a little creepy. And I can be those things, but I really try to fake it so that people don't think I'm weird <laughs> when they meet me. But I think, you know, I was listening to her podcast with Gillian Flynn, and she'd said, something about how she leaves it all downstairs. And I really do try to do that. And I think writing is a really good outlet for having all of your creepy, inappropriate thoughts and then kind of dealing with that and then getting on with your day. Um, and I think if I wasn't writing about that, that would be more of a concern because then where would I put all that energy? <laughs> all right, getting back to the new one, Jar of Hearts, uh, it, like the characters uh, in this book, we're pretty convinced that there is some lie that's been eating you up inside for years. So we're going to give you your chance now. It's it's your turn to confess. What, what's what been dragging you down for years that you want to tell people, finally get it off your chest? <laughs> well, there's nothing buried in my backyard. 
I don't know. I just, I, I don't think I have any secrets. I think I'm an open book. And I think a lot of that stuff, the stuff that affects my stories is the stuff I've been through emotionally. And then I take that and I package it with a dark story because I just think it fits really well. Um, but I think for Jar of Hearts, the big departure for me was really getting into the mind of a 16 year old girl and thinking, you know, if she was in this position at 16 and made these terrible decisions, and I think we all make terrible decisions when we're teenagers because we think we know everything. And then to kind of grow up and have all of those decisions come back to bite you in the ass. Like, I can't even imagine what that would be like. And I was really fascinated to find out if, if something I did that was terrible at 16, what if I was paying the price for that now? Would that even feel fair or would it be just, you know? And those are the questions I wanted to pursue. Wow. That's some heavy duty stuff right there, man. <laughs> That's right. Uh, personally, I, I think she was a little, uh, protest a little too much about the bodies in the backyard. <laughs> I, well, if you were listening closely the way that I was, what I heard is not in her backyard. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, not in my backyard. You don't, you don't bring that stuff home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got a kid, man. Like, you don't bring that stuff home. <laughs> you might dig it up. You never know. <laughs> so, well, speaking of bringing stuff home, are you prepared for fans of this book to send you jars with hearts in them as fan letters? I feel like that would be really cool. <laughs> as long as the hearts were like metaphorical, but I, I'm not into body parts. I don't like blood. I'm super squeamish. So please do not send me anything that bleeds in a jar, um, but candy is fine. I'm good with candy. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So all right, if, if I'm assuming you're probably already at work on the sequel to Jar of Hearts. So what other body organ are you going to fill uh, a jar with next time? <laughs> Um, the next book is probably, it's actually probably standalone, but in, in my fictional world, a lot of other characters will pop in and say hi. Um, and I don't know who that's going to be until they actually show up, but it's sort of like I've been building this fictional Seattle world. And so I wouldn't be surprised if somebody from Jar of Hearts would then come back and, and into a new book and say hello. Well, so. that's good. Well, and, and you know, a jar of spleens just doesn't have the same ring no, to it on, on a cover. No, or, you know, cup of hearts or you know, mugs of hearts or those things are just, it kind of loses a little something. <laughs> so our fearless reviewers, the Malmans, reviewed your last book, Wonderland, on one of our previous episodes. Yeah. And they so gave nice. it really high praise. So nice of them. How do you think you've progressed as a writer from Wonderland to Jar of Hearts? Um, I feel like it's been a gigantic leap. You know, Wonderland is a, it's funny to talk about that book because I'm a little bit, um, I, you know, was just disappointed that it didn't reach a wider audience because I felt I'd worked really hard on it and I felt it was a, a fairly good mainstream thriller. Um, and so for Jar of Hearts, it's been really the opposite experience of everything that I've been hoping for as a writer kind of materializing with this one book. And the marketing has been great. And if the buzz is reaching people, that's so, I, it's hard for me to tell because I'm in the bubble, but um, if it's reaching readers, that's all any writer could ever ask for. But it's been a completely different experience for sure. Well, right. I mean, look, you're on writer type. So I think you've reached <laughs> peak marketing. At <laughs> for sure. This is this is as good as it gets. All downhill from here. <laughs> that's the right answer. <laughs> The Akashic Books City Noir series has become a real landmark in crime short stories, and the latest entry is Santa Cruz Noir. You know, we had a chance to crash the party at the launch for Santa Cruz Noir, and we got to meet up with editor Susie Bright and several of the authors, and we got them to answer some questions for our Unpanel segment. 
Hi, my name is Naomi Hirahara, and my story is Possessed. And it's a story about set in the Santa Cruz Mountains at a Japanese-American Christian camp, dealing with um, teenagers and hormones and possession. So why is Santa Cruz a good place to set a crime story? Santa Cruz is a great place because, at least in terms of my story, because it is known as a place where Christians hang out as well as the occult. So there's these two um, competing kind of spirits that are present in the regions. John Bailiff, and my story is Wheels of Justice. Santa Cruz is a good place to set a noir story because it is perceived to be the sunny, fun, vacation place to go. But the seamy underbelly is right there. You just have to scratch the surface. And uh, it's, it's dark under there, under the sun. <laughs> I'm Lou Matthews, and my story is called Crab Dinners. So why is Santa Cruz a good setting for a noir story? Because it's so unexpected. You wake up every morning and look out on this beauty and you congratulate yourself for that. And if you live there long enough, you get acquainted with the dark side. I moved there in the early 70s. We had like five murders within about four miles of where I lived. And that's not even including the hitchhikers. It's just a very dark place once you get away from the beach and into the redwoods. I'm Liza Monroy and my story is Misha and the Seal. For my first time writing a crime story, let's see, I basically read other books in this series. I cheated. I read the Brooklyn Noir stories. I'd read a lot of kind of darker literary fiction, but not uh, necessarily genre fiction, so this was my first endeavor with that, though it has turned me on to the genre. It's kind of opened my eyes to possibilities as far as just getting my mind in the right place to not try to give it a happy ending or make it, you know, typical literary fiction or the kind of thing I'd usually write. I'm Margaret Alicia Garcia and my story is Monarchs and Maidens. So I lived in Santa Cruz and I went there as a young person thinking, yay, I'm gonna be in this like progressive, wonderful, great place. And I got there and all I could afford was an apartment full of roaches no matter what you did with it, on the boardwalk with meth addicts and stray kittens outside. And I was like, this is totally not what I thought it was gonna be. So I wanted to write a story that, that kind of reflected that not getting what you thought you were getting into. <laughs> My name is Shauna Graham and my story is Safe Harbor. Because it has a sunny surface and it's, it has dark depths. That's, that's California in a nutshell right there. Exactly. Every, I think every city in California could have a noir book. Let's, let's make that happen, Steve. I'm in. If you're editing it, we're in. <laughs> well, I was going to write something you guys could... No. Oh, okay. <laughs> More work for us. Again. time for a new segment now, Steve, where we occasionally grab an author that we think you should know about and we hit him with five quick questions. In the hot seat this time is Prospect Park Books author Adam Walker Phillips, author of the Chuck Rustic series. His latest is The Big Con, which is the third in the series. Adam is a 20-year veteran of corporate America, and that's exactly where his mystery series is set. Now here's five questions with Adam Walker Phillips. 
Your character, Chuck Rustic, is a human resources manager who moonlights as an amateur sleuth. What was the inspiration for that unlikely mashup of skill sets? Well, I've always, I've always been enamored with uh, classic LA detective fiction. And I thought, okay, I'm gonna write one of these. And then I thought, wow, I don't know anything about cops. I don't know anything about private detectives or tough guys. I do know the corporate world because I work in it. And uh, I thought, okay, who's a guy that could be likable? Well, I chose HR just because it's probably the most miserable section of corporate America. Oh, man. <laughs> okay, that'd be great for him to sort of try to, you know, try to escape that world and uh, do some PI work on the side. There you go, from HR to PI. It's a natural leap to me. Yeah. <laughs> no brainer. <laughs> Well, okay, so this, you're about to release your third of the Rustic books, and all these books do a great job of kind of exposing the absurdity of this corporate culture, and often to very comedic effect. I mean, are you intentionally setting out to write books that are mystery and then also comedy? Yeah, I think my I just lean to try to make things funny, even if they're um, a little dark, a little, a little bit on the miserable side. You know, I'm I'm just a, I'm a mystery fan, so I like a good yarn, and so I'm trying to mash these things up. Um, and I think the humor helps kind of keep it moving. But I'm I really like a good old-fashioned Los Angeles-based mystery. We've spoken about your your personal knowledge of the corporate world. What are your three least favorite corporate cliches? I feel like he's going to have opinions about this, Steve. Yeah, feels like it. <laughs> I only get three. Okay. <laughs> one, I, one I just drives me nuts is uh, low-hanging fruit. I uh, uh. cannot stand that one. It's, uh, it's really offensive to anybody over 65. <laughs> oh, okay. First of all, that you chose low-hanging fruit first actually is the definition of low-hanging fruit. Yeah, that's, that's, probably, that's a good point. Too easy. Number two, it's a new one. It's curate. So now everyone is curating stuff, experiences, whatnot. It must just be everyone studied art history and, and now have to get a real job and you know, <laughs> curating in uh, corporate America. Three, I'll go with, I don't know if it's really a jargon phrase, but it's that um, talking to somebody in the setting, corporate setting, and the person uses your name when you're the only two people in the room. You, you know, you, you see Steve, uh, and it's usually followed by we. We, yeah. we really don't appreciate these kinds of questions. You know, <laughs> you're thinking, we? Who's we? I don't see anybody else in the room, you know? Yeah. So as soon as you hear your name in a one-on-one -on -one conversation, you know you're in trouble. You know, Eric, I told you we <laughs> shouldn't ask him that question. <laughs> it's, those kind of people, I always just assume they took some sort of correspondence course. And they, yes, they, yeah, <laughs> it might be in the Dale Carnegie book. I don't know. Exactly. <laughs> Well, you know, it, in my head, I think your rustic books, when I read them, they kind of come to me in the uh, sort of a Humphrey Bogart kind of Philip Marlowe voice. And I think you already touched on this, but obviously I think we could safely say that Raymond Chandler is an influence on you. Was, was that safe to say? Yeah, that was the first one. Um, the first one, how I sort of discovered that classic detective fiction. I was at a was living in New York and it was one of these guys with a table on the street with a bunch of 25 cent paperbacks. And I picked up a... Uh, the Little Sister, uh, not one of the famous ones. Yeah. I thought, whoa, this this crackles. And then that led me to um, Ross McDonald. That was a sad day when I read the last one and knowing that there were no more. We're very excited to be giving away a signed copy of your third Rustic book to one lucky listener on our Twitter page. 
And I'd like for all of the rest of our listeners to hear you give your elevator pitch for the big con. Okay. It's a, it's about a crackpot consultant and leadership guru who goes missing and is wanted for murder. Our cynical HR hero, Chuck, who despises this woman has to find her or else he loses his job. Well, congratulations on your third book. And thank you so much for uh, being our guest on the first episode of five questions with. Thanks very much guys. Okay, so you heard Adam's pitch for the big con, but lucky you, Writer Types listener, you have the chance to win a copy of the book. That's right. We're giving away one copy of the book to a listener who finds us on Twitter, at Writer Types, and tells us your least favorite bit of corporate doublespeak. So think outside the box, really push the envelope, and maximize your potential, and you might just win. Well, Steve, you know, when I was in Chicago a few weeks back, I had a chance to talk to more than just Gillian Flynn. And we have an extra one that we saved for you, you know, kind of like that Christmas present that you find wedged under the back of the tree, like on December 29th. And it's best-selling author Jeffrey Deaver. Who's going to love this description of him. <laughs> Who wouldn't love to find him stuck under your Christmas tree? It's getting dark, Eric. It's getting darker by the second. <laughs> Deaver is the author of the Lincoln Rhyme series, as well as many other books and short stories. His books have appeared on bestseller lists around the world. Jeffrey Deaver, welcome. Uh, you are very prolific, and uh, I want to know a little bit about your schedule and, and your discipline. Do you have like a set time where you treat it like a nine-to-five job, or you do you wait for the muse to strike? Well, it's my uh, writing is my full-time job. I've been a um, novelist now full-time for about 40 years, um, 30, 35 or 40 years. Oh, is years. that all? Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, I'm, my the I, I have written a lot of books, but my theory is someday I'm going to get it right. Ah. Uh, no, you know, I, I'm very lucky. I enjoy writing, and I have a very low boredom tolerance. And so I, I'm not quite sure how that expression works. It's either high boredom <laughs> tolerance or low boredom <laughs> tolerance. I hate boredom. And the thing about writing is that it is always there to engage you. When it is your full-time job, there's a lot of other stuff to do. Yeah. Uh, contracts to review. I talk to lawyers about this. I have, uh, you know, an interview in um, Bulgaria, that business kind of stuff, which I don't enjoy that much. I'd rather write. But to me, it's a business, and I spend, you know, eight, ten hours a day at it, usually six days a week. Wow. So the, the, that kind of self-discipline is, it comes a little bit from inside, but it's also you're, you're running a business. Well, yeah, and can I also say discipline is like, <laughs> if you saw the dishes piled up in my sink <laughs> or my lawn or, or when it snows, you know, I look at the snow shovel and I say, you know, it's going to take me 45 minutes away from a very important passage in the book. Yeah. So uh, discipline, yes, to some extent, I suppose. But, you know, very important entities depend on me. My family, MasterCard, Visa, American <laughs> Express. I have to make sure that they're, uh, I keep them in the style to which they become accustomed. <laughs> uh, now, you're here at Murder Mayhem in Chicago. Uh, you're going to be uh, doing a conversation, a little interview with uh, Gillian Flynn. Yes, when you're out and about, like let's say you're at a cocktail party, are you more inclined to actually start talking about books in the book world, or you, you get to a point where you'd rather talk about anything but? Oh, no, no. I, I think it's it's fascinating. And you know what's happened over the uh, years, when I got started in this in the 1980s, it was a different world. There were not a lot of competing sources of entertainment back right. then. And getting together with other authors, we would talk about, well, 
have you heard about this podcast? Have you heard about this new social media? And then we, of course, gossip about who got a better advance than we do, and we're bitter <laughs> and about it. But we get over that. Yeah. Uh, you are a Midwestern boy, mm -hmm. uh, and we're here in the Midwest. Do you think that there is a Midwestern style of writing? Oh, absolutely. Uh, Midwestern sensibility. And I think it's defined by, certainly in the, the crime world, I would say a sense of very good, solid storytelling uh, combined with a, uh, and I mean this with all respect, a kind of meat and potatoes prose, yeah. a muscular prose. There's nothing you know, flashy about it. Uh, there are some authors, for instance, who are very popular, who would tend to maybe not use quotation marks. Um, mm -hmm. And it's, it's stylish, it's done for reasons I'm not quite sure I understand, but that's, you know, that's their, their particular interest. I think the Midwest writing is um, just good storytelling. written a lot you've had a long career and this is one thing that I've sort of struggled with in my relatively short career is you get to a point where those early books you, you kind of have to leave them behind and you have to focus yeah. on what's new and mm -hmm. tell you know if you start writing a new series and stuff do you find that you've, you've been able to let go of some of those early books I'll tell you what I did I went back and read my first uh, seven which were published a long time ago and while I I, I didn't cringe when I read them, I saw flaws because I've refined a, a technique of writing over the over the years. And when I uh, I saw them, I said, uh, "No, I don't want these to go out." As is. so, I rewrote them all. Uh, I could see what I'd done wrong. I could see how to improve them. And uh, examples are like I would digress. I'd, I'd write right. a passage. I'd look at the beautiful sunset, and I'd say, "And it, you know, maybe the prose was put together pretty well, and it was a great description of a sunset. Who cares? There's a body floating <laughs> down the river, and uh, I, I didn't further the story with that. But I, you know, I look at the whole body of work, and I, I think that part aside, my uh, certainly my writing style, my technique has not changed over the years. I'll tell you a problem I've run into now with, let's say, 80 short stories or so, and the 40 novels. I'll wake up, what a brilliant idea that is. I can't wait to get started on that. I just, ah, book 17, I can't do that. Or short story number 42, ah, I already used that. Oh, twist. you can't repeat yourself. No, it's a little irritating. Oh. It sounds like it was a little bit like, uh, like maybe looking back over some of those old photographs in the 80s and, and regretting a haircut or yeah. a style of clothes, but you actually had a chance to amend that. That's. I hadn't thought about that. That's true. I was in the 80s when you mentioned hair. At least I didn't have any more than I did then. But I wore it almost shoulder length. You know, it was... Once I, I worked for a, a law firm, then I became a, a journalist, and so I had to trim up a little bit for that. But uh, but it's true, you kind of revisit the past. So you're out and about uh, on this little mini tour, and mm -hmm. I understand you're, you're going to visit every single MWA chapter I am, on, yes. on, your, on yep. your travels. Do you uh, have any great book tour stories from the past? Anything that was uh, really memorable that oh, happened to oh, you? Oh, my gosh, yes. Uh, I'll give you um, one example. I was in uh, Maryland. A fellow came to um, get his book signed, and he handed it to me, and I looked at him, and he looked at me, and we looked at the book. He had come to see Michael Deaver, Ronald Reagan's <laughs> aide, uh, very disappointed about that. Uh, he was disappointed. I tried to sell him one of my books. I went to, uh, 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 you know, booksellers, I love booksellers. They're the best people in the world. Yeah. And when you're kind of new in this business as an author, you're not going to get a big turnout. And so the booksellers will say things like, oh, I'm sorry, only a couple people showed up, Jeff, because it, it's because the day is so nice. The weather's <laughs> nice and people have gone to the park. Right. And then 
if it's bad weather, they say, you know, I'm so sorry people didn't show up, Jeff. Uh, it's because the weather's so bad. <laughs> well, this was a, uh, it was early in my career. I'm there with a, another author. They set it up so hopefully two of us would get more people in, right. but it didn't work. One guy came in and sat down in the chairs. They had like 20 chairs there in the front <laughs> row. He didn't know who we were as authors. However, he said he had seen the notice and uh, for some reason, he got the idea that we were staying downtown because there was another appearance we were going to do later that night. And he, he asked if, he, if we could give him a ride back downtown <laughs> with us. Oh, no, it's a... Um, and then well, I, I will tell you one slightly more meaningful story. Um, I was on tour in New Zealand, and a young man came up to me, uh, a boy, uh, 17 or 18, and he said, would, would you sign my books? And I said, yeah, I'd be happy to. And... Uh, he put down a Grisham book, a Stephen King book, oh. and a, uh, oh, let's say a Tom Clancy book. And I kind of laughed. And he smiled shyly. And his father came up and said, my son here had never read a book outside of class. And he didn't even read many of those in class until I gave him a copy of The Bone Collector. Oh. And he realized that books could be fun. And these were the three books he read after I had gotten him into reading, and I was very moved by that. Yeah. So, uh, of course, I signed them. I said, but don't try to pass them off as, you know, <laughs> signed by the authors. Uh, so it was a nice touch. Well, that's it. We're already at the end of the show, Steve. That went quickly. It did, but we still learned some things. Jennifer Hillier taught us that you can do research on prison without actually being in prison, which I really wish I knew before. And Jeffrey Deaver taught us that we've been doing it all wrong, Steve. Yard work is not the way to procrastinate from writing. Writing is a way to procrastinate from yard work. Thanks again to our sponsors at Prospect Park Books. If you want to find out more about their excellent mysteries, visit prospectparkbooks.com. This show is produced and edited by Eric Beatner and S.W. Loudon. We hope you're following along on Twitter and Facebook. And for more information on Steve's books, visit swloudon.com. And for more on Eric's books, go to ericbeatner.com. And hey, if you like what you hear, leave us a review, tell a friend, give a share, do what you can. And thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.